A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to the Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nick Curtis, Chief Theatre Critic. I'm Nancy Dorrant, Culture Editor. And I'm Nick Clark, Deputy Culture Editor. Coming up on today's show... First, we'll be reviewing Roald Dahl's The Witches, directed by Lindsay Turner at the National Theatre. That's been written by Olivier Award-winning Lucy Kirkwood and the American composer and playwright David Malloy. And we'll also be discussing the new British musical Two Strangers, Carry a Cake Across New York at the Kiln Theatre. New York, I'm already talking to talk New York, I'm already popping the cork as I'm ready, I'm ready to be New York. That's by Jim Barn and Kit Buchan, directed by Tim Jackson. New York. Is that Times Square? Queens. And I'll be over at the Almeida Theatre with Luke Fallon. It's scary and it's difficult, but at the same time, it's still a story about heart and family and love. It might be unconventional as a Christmas story, but it's still about the same human condition that we all sort of unite around the tree on Christmas Day. Luke is starring in Cold War, a new play based on the film by Pavel Pavlikovsky, directed by Rupert Gould, adapted by Conor McPherson, with music by none other than Elvis Costello. Welcome to the Standard Theatre Podcast. If you are yet to follow us, what are you doing? Hit follow and you'll be alerted every week when a new episode lands. Well, this is our first podcast after the 67th Evening Standard Theatre Awards, which we were all at yes. last Sunday. Very glitzy. <laughs> very, 67. very Mad celebi, <laughs> as uh, the Almeida's artistic director, Rupert Gould, said to me just now when I booked him after interviewing Luke Thaler. I mean, it was mad celebi, it was wasn't it? Was. It was mad celebi. Can I, I just point out that Elton John... <laughs> Turned up to our party. Well, and John came to our party. So, so did Nicole Scherzinger. So did yeah. Ruth Wilson. All yeah. of them award winners. But really, I mean, people turned out to give awards as well. I mean, mm. David Tennant, Tom Absolutely. Hiddleston. Hayley Atwell Jenna Coleman Jenna, Jay Shears I yeah. mean, they were all there it is a, a proper party for the industry you yeah. know, it is a chance for everybody to get together quite often you know, they're spread across diverse shows across the country across London they're on film sets this is a chance for those who work in British theatre to get together have some free booze have a bit of a laugh I know well as, as Susan Wacoma who was by the way the most amazing sort of stage host, she, she was fantastic she presented the, the awards she called it London Theatre Land's Christmas party yeah, yeah. It's, sort of, it's like <laughs> our office at the office party for them. I loved her 
beginning, the, the homage to Sunset Boulevard. Yep. Uh, yep. With a great introduction of sort of walking through the corridors of, of Claridge's, which yes. obviously echoed uh, the great scene from yes, the current production. She of actually Sunset threw Boulevard. her Claridge's bathrobe at me as she went, <laughs> <laughs> went, yes, up, she on, went up on the stage. So, you know, I felt I played a small part in this. I was sat on the uh, guys and dolls table who were mm. who were great fun. Um, lots of alumni of this podcast. Marisha Wallace was there, obviously. I was next to Daniel Mays, chatting to Nick Heitner, who you know I've known for decades, and who yeah. is always you know a tremendous uh, companion to have over dinner. Yeah, um, I love the moment when Angela Varson and Patsy Farron heard that they won jointly won the Best Actress Award. I just thought that was the, the absolute crowning moment. That of the was night. so gorgeous. Yeah. I was sitting next to Patsy Farron, and Angela Varson was opposite me because I was on the streetcar table, but also with Ryan. Kelly Cameron who wrote Retrograde and his delightful wife who was sitting next to me it was so funny because they sort of they started listening and you know they were both clearly really kind of slightly on edge about the whole thing and then it became clear that they were talking about Patsy and Patsy sort of started looking like absolute kind of like amazed but stricken yeah and then it became clear that they were talking about both of them and they both kind of suddenly at the same time gaped at each other across the table and then Lovely. they said it was both of them and the entire room erupted um, not to worry me on trumpet but I have been doing a lot of interviews with winners over the weeks um, <laughs> didn't get Elton John this time although I have interviewed him before for Billy Elliot in the past and he's uh, he's great value and he, he gave a great value speech on the night what the theatre does it takes people out of themselves it puts them into another world and it's just enchanting and it will never ever stop for me seeing a performer come on stage and act and give their all is just a privilege it really is a privilege because you don't see that you won't see that you don't see movies they can be edited you can't edit a live performance and people who go on stage and act and sing and dance are just in my opinion Tremendous. I feel I should also say which table I was on, given yes. that you have both yes. said your amazing tables. And I was also with the Strange Loop crowd, who mm. were brilliant. I really, really enjoyed with them. But also I was fanboying massively because none other than Billy Porter was on my table. And Excellent. Wow. Oh, and we need to uh, talk about Christmas shows, don't we? Because we oh, had yes, our we lovely... Do. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nick. Um, we had uh, our lovely email from Andrew Storm a few weeks ago who wanted us to recommend some stuff that's going on in, you know, in, the, in the Christmas period. Absolutely. Well, we've got the two stalwarts. I mean, it's always... A Christmas Carol is always a yeah. stalwart. I can't remember a, a year in London where there haven't been at least two of them in the capital, and there are two this year. Uh, Jack Thorne's version, which has become a staple at the Old yeah. Vic for God knows how many years now, mm. and this year has caused something of a casting coup. They always get a good actor for Scrooge, but they've got Christopher Eccleston in this year. I've never seen this. It has been running for quite a few years. It's obviously adapted by Jack Thorne, yeah. who was also at the awards the other night and a winner yeah. uh, for Motive in the Queue. Yeah. It's just everyone talks about how amazing and, and sort of kicks off the Christmas season. It, it really is that. I mean, it's absolutely full of warmth and yeah. humanity. But yes, that one's tremendous. The other, if if you're uh, less South London, more North London, the other Christmas carol is Mark Gatiss's adaptation up at Alexandra Palace, which this year has Keith Allen, Keith Allen. <laughs> Keith Allen in it. Sorry, it was a long week for the award. Yes, the awards. it was. <laughs> <laughs> the line, we are and, all very, uh, yeah. very tired. Has Keith Allen in it as, as Scrooge this year. Um, it's a vast, vast theatre, mm. the Victorian Theatre at Alexandra Palace, but it is an amazing space, kept 
kept as as I was told when I was shown around it before they reopened it in a state of managed decline which is kind of how I'm feeling at the moment <laughs> actually but, uh, but yeah there's also um, Hans von Gretel at the Sam Wanamaker Theatre mm. a oh, new great. adaptation for families by Simon Armitage I went to the Wanamaker Playhouse to hear Armitage read his version of uh, Gawain and the Green Knight which was just wonderful. Mm. I just think the Wanamaker is such a magical space. Yeah. It you know, is. I haven't been there for ages. And when you go back, theater. you just think, oh, it's so lovely. It's, so, it's so Christmassy. Um, yeah. And if you really want a sugar rush, Elf is back at the Dominion. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. If you like <laughs> less, that sort of less said about that, the better. You, know, you, can, you can probably download the film. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what is also be Christmassy is uh, there are three nutcrackers, as always. And uh, that's, a, I mean, you know, a total staple. The Drew McConey Nutcracker at the Southbank Centre is a new one. That's in a space that used to be occupied. I don't know if you remember, it used to be occupied by that restaurant called Canteen yeah. for a while. <laughs> I was trying to remember the name of it earlier and I was like, pie? Um, I couldn't remember, couldn't remember what it was called. Anyway, and they're calling that the Tough Nut Jazz Club. So it's like a new venue for the Southbank, which is great. But this one's kind of bit less traditional, a bit saucy, I think, and it's being done kind of like a cabaret. But if you want the, I think that's meant to be, that's meant to be really good. Yeah. Mm. But if you want the traditional kind, you know, then the Royal Opera House one is kind of the OG, yeah. really. Yeah. It really is just with massive kind of growing magical Christmas tree and just constant twinkling. It's absolutely gorgeous. But I also think the English National Ballet one at the Coliseum mm. is just as gorgeous, actually, and is probably slightly cheaper and maybe a bit easier to get tickets. So that one is um, also recommended. So yeah. if you if you wish to crack your nuts, those are the ones I would tell you to go to. <laughs> so, Mr. Clark, it's <laughs> panto time from you. <laughs> now, oh, yes, it is. Now, many people can be sniffy about panto. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, they can't. <laughs> and do terrible jokes about panto. But... Uh, I'm here to stand for Panto um, and also just uh, underline quite how important Panto is for theatre. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. As the old saying goes, no Panto, no Pinter. So I, everyone who is about to turn this podcast off, please do not and yeah. listen and patronise one of these Pantos, which I have picked out. Yeah. So this year at the Lyric Hammersmith, they, they've got Cinderella and the Lyric Hammersmith always puts on a good panto. Yeah. Um, the stage recently said it's easily one of the capital's best independent pantos, and we'd go along with that. Of course, the Theatre Royal Stratford East yeah. as well, another absolute staple. This year they've got Jack and the Beanstalk, and far be it for me to, to ignore one of the biggest. Clive Rowe is back at the Hackney Empire, uh, where yeah. this year they're doing Aladdin. Clive Rowe is also directing. I mean, he play, he's played the Dame there for years. Yeah, years, I think. Amazing. He was also Olivier nominated, the only um, uh, person ever to be Olivier nominated for playing a dame. Really? So there you go. There we go. Uh, so that's well worth going. And of course, then we again go to the OG, which is at the Palladium. It's yep. Peter Pan this year, Julian Clary's back, Jennifer Saunders, Nigel Havers, and of course... Gary Wilmot, is who that, I yes, always love. love Gary Wilmot. Is that, love one, Gary. is that one for children? Less so, that <laughs> right. one. I, think, I don't think it's a, it's a sort of, uh, it's not one of the adult pantos. And no. There are a no, few no, of those not around, like the like, super adult. So I think it's not you like do... the Sin, S-I-N-Dorella. Yeah, exactly, you know, so, yes, yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, I think, you know, in the past I have seen families there, I think it's not, it's probably for slightly older children. There's probably a little bit of smut and risque stuff in there, but right. uh, but I don't think it's... A bit of blue for the parents. A bit of blue for the dads. <laughs> right, let's get into our first review. This is The Witches at the National Theatre. Yeah. 
You both saw this last night. I didn't, but after reading your review, Nick, I am desperate to see this. So you say that this is the Christmas show to beat. Tell me more. Well, it does set an extremely high bar, I think, this one. It is uh, an adaptation, of course, of the Roald Dahl book. Relatively controversial this year because there are all those stories about it being censored or contextualised, you know, things being written into Dahl's books and then things being taken out of Dahl's books again. So it's an issue that I think that the adapter Lucy Kirkwood had to confront and director Lindsay Turner as well. I think they do it extremely well. I think they honour the spirit of Dahl, his nastiness and his dark streak very, very well. It's really funny, this. It's It's so funny. It's really inventive. It's visually absolutely delightful. And it has these astonishing kids in them. I mean, I don't know where they found them I've not seen a a child performance like that like in years and there were two yes they were both like I mean there are three young like there are three children sort of prominent in this yes two more so than the other and I think one of them just doesn't get quite as much opportunity to be brilliant although her song is fantastic yes but the two boys were just they were amazing. Yeah. They were genuinely amazing. I think Bertie Kaplan playing Luke. Uh, and of course, you know, just to make a, a point about it, that there are three young actors who play each of the child roles because yeah. just due to UK labour laws and all that kind of stuff, you know, we can't throw them in the mills anymore. Um, and there's, so there's Bertie Kaplan playing Luke. He's natural. He's confident. He's, he's charming. He's charming. He's genuinely charming. charming rather than like a bit annoying. I mean, yeah. how old are we talking here? Uh, well, he's playing 10, so I imagine he's, he's probably, probably a year or two older. Yeah. Yeah, 12 or maybe yeah. or something like that I don't I mean it's a complete guess but they are they, kids I mean they, yeah. they're yeah. kids they're not teenagers you know they yeah. do you know, they very much look like you know the, the age they're playing I yeah think. absolutely yeah. and then there's Key and Eagle Service who plays Bruno who's yeah. kind of like the sweet tooth posh kid in it and he has he has actually genuinely the best musical number in Bruno Sweet Bruno that actually any actor could wish for in their it's entire career absolutely true <laughs> like, you're just like sorry kid it's downhill from here because that was Unbelievable. They throw everything at it. Dancing candy canes, meringues, glitter hats, going up and down the stairs. It's so, <laughs> so good. He's very charming. He's quite sort of debonair as well, he's isn't like, he? He's, he's like a little, little Cary Grant. He's sort of, he's sort of like, his kind of mannerisms are kind of cheeky, bordering on camp because he's yes. doing this proper, like, glitzy number. He has a sophistication in his physical performance, which is, I think, a bit of a rarity in children. In fact, I think both of them have that um, yes. because sometimes you child actors you can find that you know their speaking is fine but but they don't really know what to do with their bodies because they don't really understand them yeah and they don't understand the relationship to them of them to behavior or you which can see them counting in their head when exactly, they're moving whereas you don't uh, get that with these two some of the all. i'm not sure if it applies to these two i haven't read all the biographies because there's a huge cast here, yeah uh, oh God, including so the young cast um but some of these kids come from dance schools right. rather than from okay. stage schools mm-hmm. so that that may be it they may be more physically aware but just one last word on Keen eagle service i love his his comic timing is wonderful oh, when he's exquisite. when he's shown a budget room for the first time and he's sort of the horror I mean one had heard of such things obviously <laughs> one never thought one would see it with one's own eyes it's, it's <laughs> to wine in a can you wouldn't give it to a dog <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, um, for those who don't know the plot, um, it is it is fairly dark. I think there is some stuff here that young kids, there were a couple of young kids in front of me who looked a little sort of wobbly at times. Yeah, yeah. There is some stuff that I think might upset them because there's a lot of sort of threat of death in this and well, yeah. morbidity in I it. I mean, and also, like, I've completely <coughs> forgotten, within the first 10 minutes, the main character's parents both die. He's orphaned and he's handed over to his peculiar Norwegian grandmother who probably has a heart attack due to all the cigars that she smokes. <laughs> 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 and so they're sent, they're sent to 
basically convalesce at this hotel in Bournemouth run by um, podcast alumnus Daniel Rigby, who um, just gives the most sublime comic performance of a hotelier who makes uh, Basil Fawlty look like a Buddhist priest. He's uh, <laughs> a Mr. Stringer. <laughs> Mr. Stringer. With a quiff that dis- defies wonderful. gravity. Well, and they've, he was in Accidental Death of an Animal. Yeah. He was in Accidental Death. One of the great comic performances Absolutely. of the year. Wasn't yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And he's, he's, you know, he equals it in this one. It's, right. It'd be worth seeing for him alone. But, right. you know, but actually, it's all the adults are are out, are out yeah. acted by the children, even him. So they turn up at this hotel, this sort of Hotel Magnificent, uh, only to find that the hotel is unwittingly hosting the sort of conclave of all the UK's witches. Basically, the Grand High Witch has, has worked out a scheme whereby all the um, nation's children can be turned into mice and therefore exterminated. Because witches hate children. Witches, yeah. uh, witches can smell children. They find the smell repellent. Um, I want to talk about Catherine Kingsley, actually, mm, who plays yeah. the Grand High Witch, who I am a big fan of, actually. She's brilliant. I think you mentioned in your review that she was a little bit off her notes yes. on, on the high press notes, night. I, thought, yeah. I think she's got cold. Ah, okay. and that, that, that's not me thinking that, you know, not having insider knowledge. It's just that having seen her before, and as I'm sure you have as well, yeah. and she was, I think my favourite performance of hers was in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, oh, so uh, with good. Robert Lindsay, who was sitting behind me in front mm, of you yeah. um, you know she's a very very gifted musical theatre actress actress generally and also singer and I think I've got a feeling that she was like no no the show must go on because she just had to sort of she wanted to kind of knock it knock it out Fair um, enough, but I've yeah. got a feeling that she may have had a bit of a cough right, actually right. Um, which is probably why because I can't think of any other reason because she's a she's got a brilliant voice yeah, actually yeah. but I love she's got this fantastic number it's sort of like her second number which is called Wouldn't It Be Nice mm. about you know wouldn't it be nice if basically there were no children in the world yes. you'd be able to have like a bit of peace and quiet and yeah. a bit of rumpy pumpy and and it's very very funny it's very funny it's true and uh, and there's a lovely one of the things that the, the, the sort of controversy or the, the way uh, Dar was weaponised in the culture war was that um, they introduced some notes into the book about the fact that witches are bald and I think they inserted mm. a line into the book saying there are other reasons why people maybe well people may be bald and here she just whips off her wig and says I'm bald as well you know yeah, yes well, exactly they're not bald I am bald, bald. They're not bald. Like, they have purple sparkly disgusting heads yeah. <laughs> so because their brains are on fire because yes. they are so evil or something along those lines they've updated, like, yeah, they, that works. yeah they've updated it quite cleverly haven't yeah. they because when the book was subtly. written in 1985 subtly they've done it and uh, it's, it sort of does require explaining the, the witches have to wear gloves um, and scritchy shoes don't they because yeah. they have square feet and they're their hands are sort of purple stained and talon like. And I actually like, I think you were not so, you didn't so completely love it, but I actually really, I rather liked the cotton candy palette of Lizzie Clackland's set. I thought it worked rather well. And I think it tempers the somewhat darker moments. Yeah. Actually, just, you know, like I said, like the kids' parents die within the first 10 minutes. Yes. Yeah. And it is a bit of a shock, actually. And the Grand High Witch, I think I took a 12 year old, my goddaughter, and she, you know, when the Grand High Witch comes out at a certain point in the second half where, you know, it really feels like there is some peril, you know, she's 12, but she kind of like, oh, kind of ducked away into her mother's shoulder for a moment right. just because she was a little bit scared. Okay. Uh, I would not take a very small child to this. Yes. Definitely not. Yeah. But I think the set does help a little bit, actually. I think you're probably right. One I thing know. I wanted to, uh, that I loved about the design, and it's something that the theatre very rarely does well, which is give scale or perspective. Yeah. I love the way that, I mean, spoiler alert, the 
boys are turned into mice by yeah. the witches. I think you probably know that, and if you don't, it's not going to be a terribly shocking spoiler. And they do some absolutely wonderful sort of scaling up with them as the as the human children, and then as these clockwork mice, which yeah. are wonderful the way they sort of scoot around the set, aren't they? And also they're like a little bit shonky, yeah, as well. But I think that's completely like that's absolutely deliberate and within the kind of the vibe of the show. And I again, think I think making sense. it more palatable to kids, you know, yeah. you can see it's fake, you exactly. see it's not real, which yeah, is a very exactly. clever. So it doesn't matter when someone literally stamps on one of exactly, them. Exactly, like, yes, or like, chops the tail off a, yeah, one of them. Exactly, yeah, exactly, it's yeah. okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's beautifully judged, this. That's the yeah. thing, you know, they get the tone absolutely right, they get the sort of, you know, appeal of it absolutely right, it's pitched perfectly. Yeah, yes. and also I think it's such a clever script by Lucy Kirkwood, it's mm. adapted by the, from the book. She's written the book and Dave Malloy has written the music and they've evidently collaborated on the lyrics. There are loads of really sharp gags to amuse the grown-ups, but it never forgets that it's a show for children, yes. I think, and I think that's really... I think that's super important. And I think the choreography is fantastic. I think there's only one, and I was mentioning the young lady before, so it's Jersey Blue Georgia showed it, uh, played um, a character who I won't name, actually, because it's quite a nice reveal when yeah. you find out who she is. She has a really, really lovely singing voice. Yes. Actually, really beautiful. I think that the choreography of the number that she is given could be better, It could be more interesting, but it's possibly that it's like that because it's entirely made up of children in incredibly unwieldy costumes it's like true. one of them is dressed as Henry Hoover yeah. it's really quite <laughs> difficult so so that is that might be why yes um, but other than that I think that Stephen Mears choreography is brilliant yeah um, and that's very, that song is great that's the sort of rousing anthem of the show get up It's about being brave. Yeah, you know, this about whole being thing brave is and, about being brave. But it's also about being brave and, you know, using the time that you've got. Because yeah. actually, you know, one of the themes is that, of course, as soon as you're a mouse, your heart beats, what is it, nine times a second, which means that your lifespan is much shorter. Yeah. So you need to do what you can with the life that you've got. And yeah. it's a really... It's quite a complex concept in a way, but yeah. it's moving. It's really it lovely. Oh, actually, I was going to say, let's make a shout out to the musicians because, I mean, this is a vast cast, yes. huge number of people. But then there are 13 musicians playing live backstage and they do a really nice bit at the end, um, which, I won't, again, I won't reveal just if it's not, you know, it's not a coup de theatre or anything, but it's very nice. They have a very nice way of acknowledging them at the end when they're yeah. playing the curtain calls. So that's really lovely. And, of course, this podcast uh, sponsored the Unsung Heroes Award at the Evening Standard exactly. Theatre Awards, which this year went to musicians, musicians. who, as we said, are quite often stuck under the stage. And, you know, yeah, sort of exactly. Them. So you can good never see to them, give them so a shout-out. Yeah, it was yeah. really lovely. Yeah. I think this could do a Matilda, you know. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, it is it is obviously the Nationals Christmas show, but it's not Christmassy, not so all, it could no. quite easily. I reckon it could be a real long runner. Yeah, I think you're probably right. That hadn't occurred me but yeah people have been looking for the next Matilda haven't they and this, yeah. you're right this could be it this could quite easily be it looking I think, close you know. to home with another yeah. doll adaptation yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah well you know good for them I hope it makes them a killing yeah watch this space and that's on until January the 27th let's go to a quick break coming up in part two I'm over at the Almeida Theatre with Luke Thallon for Cold War hit follow and we'll see you back here in a minute 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Jonathan Bailey, and you're listening to the Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome back to the Standard Theatre Podcast. Joining me this week is Luke Thallon, who is appearing in Cold War at the Almeida. Welcome, Luke. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Tell us, uh, well, tell us a little bit about this show and your part within it. Cold War is uh, an adaption of a 2018 film, Polish film, black and white film, uh, that Conor McPherson's done a script for, and uh, Elvis Costello has done music. Elvis saw the film, I think, and loved it so much yeah. that... Uh, composed a load of music for it and um just off the bat without off the bat yeah complete without any commission or anything and, right and i think the producers were pretty hounded by people who wanted to do it on stage they asked connor to do it and, and here we are right tell us a bit about the story and who and who, who do you play who do I, I play um i play a man called victor zatonsky it's a love story that sort of spans about 15 years and and crosses several borders but it's also about obsession and addiction and artistry and integrity and um, the truth and telling the truth. It's beautiful. And I think a lot of it's based on uh, Pavel, the, the original filmmaker's parents. Right. So it's largely true, hmm. which comes with all sorts of interesting variables when you're, when you're playing something that's true. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. Has, uh, has he had any involvement in it, Pavel Pavlikovsky? Not with me. Right. I'm sure there's been lots of conversations with Connor and Elvis and Rupert. Um, I'm sure he'll come and sit in one day and we'll all get very scared and nervous. <laughs> but no, he sort of trusts us at arm's length, I think. That's good. But that would be very weird, him coming in and you playing his dad, basically, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, Christ. It'll Christ. happen. It'll yeah. happen. I'm sure. It will happen. Um, your co-star in this is Anya Chalotra. That's right. Uh, for people will know from The Witcher. How's that relationship sort of panning out? How's well, that working? We've known each other since we went to drama school together. Were you? We're in the same year at drama school. Oh, fantastic. So... Um, when you when you share that experience with someone, you're sort of trauma bonded, perhaps, but, but you're sort of bonded to those people forever. I mean, you yeah. fall in and out of love with all of them, and you go through so much, not only about acting, but also just coming of age and uh, from eighteen to twenty one and moving to the city. And so naturally, you're you're very very bonded to people. And um, I'm really really grateful that we can do this together because I don't know what it would be to do this play, which is tough tough and um hurts a lot and requires a lot from us and i i don't know what it would be like to show up on day one and um it'd just be a different challenge i suppose but we we have a lot of trust in each other and, and we get a lot for free in that anya's been someone who has been in my life for the last decade yeah had you worked together professionally before or just no. as students? Right. No, we, we, we'd we done workshops of the show together and we'd always wanted to do, we were trying to find something to do together um, and chucking about ideas and then it turned out to be this one. I see, fantastic. Um, it doesn't sound like your average December show. This is not really a panto, <laughs> is it? Or is no. this the alternative to Christmas shows? Or uh... Maybe, I, maybe. It's still, it is a musical. It is a musical with a broad scope it is a big story it is a wintry cold story there's lots mm. of big thick coats and jackets and um 
the film is trying and it's and it's scary and it's difficult but at the same time it's still a story about heart and family and love hmm. and maybe it might be unconventional as a christmas story but it's still about the same human condition that we all sort of unite around the tree on christmas day right. for it's still about family and love. And I see. We first met in 2017 at this theatre, the Almeida, for your first professional job, which was Mike Bartlett's Albion, um, yeah, where you were nominated goodness. for the Evening Standards Emerging Talent Award. Is this your spiritual home? Is this the place you always gravitate back to? Oh, goodness. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd be very touched if they'd allow me to say that. I think the Almeida does contain a certain power. And I, 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 every time I've seen something here, I always leave onto Upper Street and sort of see the world a little differently. It, it has... The space is incredibly transformative. I mean, you just are totally invested in a in a unique and really well formed world whenever you come to the Almeida. And I think Rupert's programming is second to none. Hmm. I think the quality of creatives and actors they get here is second to none. And um, it is, yeah, it is a great great privilege for this to be my my fourth show here since right because you've just done graduated. patriots haven't you where you played roman abramovich i mean that was really i mean i remember i did that chiefly to work with will and will Keane and tom hollander yeah um and, and peter i guess just to be on stage with two people i look up to so much and two people i saw before i ever called myself an actor if i can call myself that now uh, i think uh, you can i think i don't know i mean you still just go from job to job don't you and just hope that something else comes through but yeah to, anyway to be on stage from both of them and copying them and stealing them from them is <laughs> bliss all all great artists steal that's the that's i the, hope so yeah <laughs> i certainly do yeah. I mean, yeah jolly good uh what was it what was the fourth show then i, I, I did this show called nine lessons in carols uh, yes, over the christmas we only got on for about 10 10 performances yeah that was sort of mid um, was it sort of post-pandemic yeah or mid -pandemic? I, think, I think we were the only show on actually yeah. in around december time certainly the only show on with more than one or two people in it yes. there were six of us yeah. which december 2020 was a, a complete rarity yeah Man, that's amazing thinking back to that. It's was... incredible, isn't it? I was just uh, talking to Sam Mendes this week, and you know he was sort of saying, remember the pandemic? We didn't know if theatres would be shut down for I 10 know. years, if it would ever come back. So. And then I did this play at the National called Afterlife, where they had a big yellow um, two-metre ruler that any time we'd get in, we had buzzers around our necks. Yes. And then they came, someone would step up, amazing, amazing company manager called Wynn, come up and shove a big two-metre ruler in between us whenever we stepped too close <laughs> to each other. And I don't know how you can create art in those conditions but we did didn't it's we, probably yeah it's probably something to do with it's probably an important factor of human makeup that we've actually forgotten all this stuff you know I, or largely I, forgotten I all this stuff so yeah. yeah i don't know i mean i'm sure there's stuff that's left over that's stained in us that we haven't quite discovered the benefits of yet but, hmm. um i'm happy to be able to touch i mean this show would be very hard we're not allowed to climb all over each other which we do a lot of right right um you seem to be primarily a theatre actor is that where you're most at home do you deliberately sort of seek out theatre jobs rather than film and tv um yeah yeah i get i get asked this a lot and um god I'm, i never really got a very good answer for it i said recently i think in an interview that form isn't or medium isn't really what i'm interested in but but going towards text that i think is scary and challenging and necessary is but I don't know if that's true, actually. I um, There is something integral for me in this job about a story being told from beginning to end in a shared space and the alchemy of the collective conscious 
that I'm sort of discovering, I think. Without that, I don't know my role as an actor. I don't know how I function. For me, the whole thing is about community. And it's about sharing something. And it's about going to a place emotionally or narrative-wise in the presence of others. And I, I don't know how I would do that in isolation filming. So, um, yes, even if my time as an actor is limited, if I've got a soon expiry date, I'd like to work in the theatre and do something in the... stay in the theatre. Right. Um, rather than go and do anything else, I think. Right. That's what I believe in. Yeah. Uh, what's your first memory of theatre? I remember being escorted out of Goldilocks and the Three Bears when I was very young. I think Frank Bruno was doing it at, at Woking. Playing Goldilocks or...? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I definitely... I saw the... the pantomimes local to me but i suppose i really that my first memory properly of going to the theater was when i'd go during college and i'd sort of get a cheap ticket and travel up by myself i saw delane do prospero in the in the tempest and i saw simon russell beale do death trap for matt Warchus at the at the coward mm. and i remember seeing people i remember seeing those actors those two in particular and i remember seeing them and, and thinking god they're not they're not acting i as a teenager, you think it's all sort of speaking loudly and stomping your feet. And and then suddenly Delane walks on stage and has an ability just to speak. And I thought, oh, that, I don't know how I don't know how one does that. I don't know how that's achievable. And I don't know how I'm so rapt, even if he's not remotely trying to perform. Mm. And then later saw great, great actors, Paul Rees and Hans Kesting, and sort of aspire each day to try and be bit more like that right why were you escorted out of the theater oh well i was crying as a young kid i couldn't stand the fact that there were cannonballs going off and and right. and i'm just as easily as anxious and <laughs> uncomfortable now i have to sit on the end of a row you know i'm terrible in in groups fantastic i spoke to simon russell bill when he did um death trap and he was saying he's terrible with props so that was like the worst oh, nightmare oh, of the show for him you know, it was all prop and timing driven wasn't it yes 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 at the right time and you know, crossbows going off and things like that. God, yeah, I'd like to work with Simon. I've only spent a day with him. Oh, no, that's not true. I spent a couple of days with him, but, but I'd like to work with him properly. To yeah, play with him. terrific. We'll see him. Great. Luke Thelen, thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. Cold War will run at the Almeida until January the 27th. Let's go to another break. Coming up in part three, we'll review Two Strangers, brackets, carry a cake across New York, and brackets, at the Kiln Theatre. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Leia Salonga, and you're listening to the Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Next up, it's Two Strangers Carry a Cake Across New York at the Kiln. Home, there's snow in the city tomorrow to see it come twinkling down. And that's why they all call it Tinsel Town. There's hundreds of thousands of people just living a dream out there. And there's love in the air. Okay, we're about to leave the train and then we're going to be in New York. Yes. You're not going to freak out? Oh. New York. 
This is a brand new British musical and it's already been extended. I think that happened before it even came out of previews. So, Nix, is it any good? Well, so I, I've got to say, I always love going back to the kiln. It's uh, not my most local theatre, but I mean, when I when I uh, managed to make the trek to Kilburn, um, it always makes me think, oh, I wish I came here more often. It's uh, such a welcoming place. I found, And the new auditorium is so good as well. Yeah. And mm. this show's almost the perfect fit for it. Um, so, it, as you said, it's a new British musical by Jim Barn and Kit Buchan. Apparently it started life in 2019 in Ipswich in the new Woolsey Theatre, and it was called oh. The Season. Oh. So, um, basically, it's sort of Sleepless in Seattle crossed with uh, Before Sunrise. So this is a two-hander, um, and it's clearly a love letter to the rom-coms of the 80s and 90s, which is absolutely in my wheelhouse, <laughs> yeah, um, 100%. as are the references to Ghostbusters and Home Alone 2. Yep, um, yep, same. Which, <laughs> it opens with Dougal, who is a young man from the UK, and he's setting off to New York for his dad's second wedding. This is a wedding being held at Christmas. Yeah, the dad he's never known. The dad, he? the dad he's dad never walked known. out before uh, he was born. Yeah, and there he meets Robin, who is the sister of the bride. So he's all sort of wide-eyed, puppyish enthusiasm. Uh, she's very cool, very almost to the point of being glacial, for, yeah. uh, <laughs> certainly the, the initial bit, very New York cynicism. And essentially what they have to do is carry this $1,000 cake. They have to go and get it from the bakers and carry it across to the sisters without destroying it yeah. essentially no, no, no point wondering why people who have booked a $1,000 cake didn't also pay for delivery but sure one has to swallow a certain amount of <laughs> yes. sort of uh, necessary schmaltz in this <laughs> okay, show it's, okay. it's the one that sort of wears its, its sort of um, hokiness on its sleeves like. it does because well, it leans in absolutely yeah. to those tropes to that style of film to it's you know they, they're walking across New York getting to know each other two opposites finding the sort of meeting ground in the middle and and, and you know you can guess what, what happens next. You can guess what happens there. It's just charming, though, isn't it? So it's charming. utterly, utterly, utterly charming and beguiling, the whole and, thing, I think. And it's obviously completely made by these two leads. Mm. They're just charisma and chemistry they have between them. Sam Tutty, who actually a lot of people may know from Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. Real he originated breakout. the role here, didn't yeah, he? He did, yeah. he did. And he always had a fantastic voice, but I think he's grown as an actor. He's mm. got a, a real sort of um, nice sort of wry glint in his eye here. Absolutely. I mean, playing a very sort of naive character, but he's he's got well, a certain swagger to him, isn't and there? It's a, I think it's a real skill because initially you think, oh, he could be really annoying. Yeah. This is going to get on my nerves. But actually he always undercuts it. The writing undercuts it a bit or she steps in and you it never lets you fall off that tightrope into thinking, Oh God! Yeah, you know what are you talking about? But actually, because every time he's sort of pup- his puppyish glee, you know, there's a joke about basically exposing his ignorance of not being in New York. You yeah, know, he, he sings that New York, the capital of the USA, yeah. and you know, the Golden yeah. Gate Bridge, all of this stuff. And he's always saying things like, "I can't wait to eat a p- proper New York wiener dog," and yeah, she's yeah. saying, "Nobody yeah, calls yeah. it that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I want a Budweiser light. Nobody calls it that." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and all of his references come from Home Alone too. Everything he wants to see, he wants to go ice skating and go up there, you know, yeah. to go to Rock Actually, some of them come from Midnight Cowboy and some slightly more acid, you know, New York <laughs> yeah, films. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, the whole thing is in love with sort of the cinema and the romance of New York, isn't it? You know, and the sort mm. of uh, show business of New York, I suppose. And it kind of speaks to some of the themes there about imageries and your imagination of what something may be mm. and actually what it is in reality because he's never met his father and he has built up a huge sort of idealised version in his head. And is his father going to be that when he finally meets him for the first time? But we should also say, you know, Dujona Gift, yeah. who uh, plays opposite him, plays uh, the the cool, calm and, and very you know, collected New Yorker Robin. Um, again, because she has to start off 
basically not singing. He starts off with the tunes because he's out there, he's you know, yeah, bursting into so song, where she's keeping excited. it all down. Mm. And she finally gets a number in the um, coffee shop where she sort of talks about everything that's simmering, all the tensions that are simmering in her life. What'll and, it be? It's called nice, mm. you know, clever reference to basically what's her life going to be, but also what's your coffee shop order. Yeah. Right, right. And, and I've seen some criticism of the song saying they're not that memorable. I came away actually with a load of them in my head. Some of the Patter songs are great, including one about Tinder, which yes, is hilarious. It's a fantastic really, song. really fun. It's really good. And again, I know I bang on about this a bit, but it's actually nice to see a, a stage show where people actually use mobile phones. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, most yeah. theatres still, yeah. still pretends that they haven't been invented. But I thought the school was great. I loved American mm. Express, which closes the second half when yes. they basically go on a on a sort of spending binge on his dad's credit card, his mm. sort of platinum Amex. And I love the hangover duet that opens the second half. I think yeah. this is the only rom-com I've seen which starts with someone puking in a toilet. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it absolutely works. It's brilliant. She I'm, has a great voice as well. Oh, as you absolutely. say, her songs are slower to arrive, but both of them have these sort of what sound like, you know, quite very sort of pleasant, melodious sort of mid-range voices, but each of them at various moments just sort of open up their lungs mm. and go, yeah, yeah. at you, and it's, uh, it's terrific. It's so. Sutra Gilmore's design. Yeah. It's, a, it's on a revolve, but it's brilliantly inventive. Mm. So it's piles of suitcases mm. all on top of it. Well, two piles, essentially, yeah. from, as, the, as the two sides meet and they walk around them and all that. But it's extraordinary that each suitcase sort of opens up and either has a prop in it or actually creates a whole different set. Mm. So that one stage they're in a Chinese restaurant and one of the bigger suitcases opens up and you've got the table and things drop down from the ceiling. Yeah. It's so clever. I it mean, is. It's just a brilliant bit of staging. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought this was really, really sweet. It's deliberately schmaltzy. It yep. lets you know all its references and, yep. and it lets you know what it likes and what it's going to be about very, very early on. But it also is deliberately attuned to a British audience, I think. It undercuts itself the yeah. entire time. So it never falls into what you would you might start rolling your eyes or start feeling a little bilious for, it, is. You know, it, it really sort of understands its audience I think yeah no I totally agree it was yeah very, just really lovely and also we've been talking about Christmas shows it's set at Christmas and it is a great Christmas show yep perfect get in <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of the Standard Theatre Podcast. Please do hit follow, leave a comment, tell your friends and feel free to drop us a line at theatrepod at standard.co.uk. We read all your emails and we love hearing from you. Make sure to check out all our previous reviews and interviews in the list below, which include the likes of Susan Wacoma, Ian McKellen, Jenna Russell and many more. Thanks to our producer, Rachel Abbott. We'll see you back here next Sunday. Thank you.